When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. BJ, you sound down. Is everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I actually just got off with pods and sods. <laughs> course joined on this episode with uh the my the person that i always go to anytime i have any questions about green river and that's bj cramp the host of rock and or roll welcome to whatever never mind bj thanks for having me Baco. and you of course you mean the green river killer i'm an expert on the green river serial killer (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or or the actually the credence clearwater revival album i could talk about that yeah (laughs) i i I like that's one of my favorite credence songs but I, i don't think that's a a terribly hot opinion. <laughs> you know? No, it's not one of my favorite songs. Oh, but... <laughs> or I mean, of course it's not. <laughs> yeah, Green River Killer. That was the inspiration for this band's name. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Or I mean, maybe maybe the Credence album too. I mean, maybe a combination of the two. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Mark Arm was a big Credence fan. Uh... But yeah, that was a Washington-based. Serial killer, right? That was so what, made... like the late forties, early fifties? I don't even know. Uh, so so-called expert, yeah. I actually read a book on the Green River Killer, you motherfucker. Well, I am a true crime person, but I don't, I don't remember there being a podcast about the Green River Killer. Oh so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe when I'm done with these uh, twenty-five uh, grunge albums, I'll just dedicate it to uh, go chapter by chapter on the book I read. That would be an interesting podcast where you could talk about the history of this band. The history of the Credence song and album and the Green River Killer and tie it all together. <laughs> Green Rivers. That's what you can call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, well, let's get into a little bit about this band. They came up on the the Deep Six compilation. Uh, if, for those who want to check that out, I, John Lamoureux joined me for for that that record. Um, yeah, a lot of names that people who follow grunge would eventually you know become household names, like you know Jeff Ament. Um, although I recently heard uh, Eddie Vedder interviewed, and he said he pronounced his name Jeff Ament. Um, so I'm not really sure what the the proper name is, but. Uh, yeah, well, I was gonna have I was gonna make the same comment because I heard 
uh, Bruce Pabbitt, I think, said "ament." I've always heard "ament." You know, really? that's that's what I remember it being. But I think when you were talking to Bruce, he said "ament." I've always heard "ament" like "ament" like that or "ament," but I be... thought it was Jeff "ament," but yeah, it's probably "ament." Well, Jeff was I on st- the. I still say I still say "ace freely." I refuse to to say "freely." So <laughs> I couldn't even tell the difference between the two things you just said. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, or you refuse to say "spaceman." <laughs> no, everybody says freely now, but we all thought it was Ace Freely, you know. Ace Freely. Yeah, I still say freely. Yeah. 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 Either that or my mind just uh replicated what you were saying, uh, who knows. But of course, uh <laughs> Je- Jeff Amet uh known for uh uh, his later work uh, in a band called Pearl Jam. Um, Mark Arm. Now he did he go right to Mud Honey right after this? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, there might have been something weird in between. They had those bands like the Thrown Ups. I think that was him and Steve Turner. I just you know I one of my closest friends uh, when I was living in Rochester at the break of grunge um, was his name was Steve Turner. Uh, <laughs> right. He. Um, <laughs> He's gonna kill me for this. Uh, although he'll never listen to this, uh, he he would have this thing like if you know when you're going out to the club or and we, basically there was like a few bars in Rochester that we would go to, uh, and, and you know we might get together and have a drink or two before we went out. And he would not like he so he'd have his jeans on, but the, he wouldn't have them buttoned on top. And it was because like he wanted his pants to. <laughs> be as tight he wanted his jeans to be as tight as possible for the ladies when he finally did actually venture out he was worried that if he buttoned it and sat down before he went out to the to the bar that uh it would stretch out his 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 butt area of his jeans and make his butt look i don't know flabby or something (laughs) anyway steve turner uh i did not know there was a member of this whole scene named steve turner until about i don't know maybe 10 years ago but um, Mark Arm was always a name that uh, every time I hear that, I think of a Chris Cornell interview I read in Spin Magazine during the, the, the whole grunge movement where he said, you know, people think you just go to Seattle and you, you walk down the street and you bump into Mark Arm. It's not like that. And I'm like, who's Mark Arm? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, we got Bruce Fairweather, who actually plays on this record. Uh, my understanding is that, that Steve Turner is out of the band by that point. Uh, Stone Gossard, of course, uh, uh, rode Jeff Amen's uh, coattails into Mother Love Bone and, uh, of course, Pearl Jam. Alex Vincent on drum, not real familiar with that. Um, and Jack and Dino, who uh, I, I did a wonderful interview with, uh, was the producer on this thing. Released on Sub Pop Records, too, right? Yeah, it was the first uh, non-45 Sub Pop release, right? Yeah. It was their first LP, yeah. The tra- I had a hard time tracking down how these the, the track the proper track listing. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, the Wikipedia page because I found a couple on Discogs. I'm guessing when this was first released, it was vinyl and cassette only. There probably wasn't a CD printing in 1987. I remember that wasn't yeah, terribly definitely. common. Yeah. Right. The reissue sequencing, which we can break down a little more as we go, um, but to me that makes a lot more sense than what they actually released. Uh, now, now, did you buy this back back in the day, as a, as the kids say? Yeah, I bought the tape that had this and Rehab Doll. Okay. On together. Yeah. Now, did that have the original track listing then, with Unwind being the opening track? I don't even remember. I did see that discrepancy between Unwind being the opening or This Town. I noticed that too, and um, I think it was this town probably opened that tape, but I don't, I don't have it anymore. 
<laughs> so yeah, I wish actually, I, would... I I had this on vinyl at one point and sold it like a moron. Hmm. Um, so I don't have that anymore either. Dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish I would have known I, uh, when I when I interviewed Jack and Dino had I, this was going to come up. I would have asked him, but uh, I did right. find uh, like a oh a kind of a retro review talking about the the deluxe edition of this. And the closest it came to an explanation was just this, that it said, The original 12-inch kicked off with Unwind and Baby Takes, and the B-side consisted of This this Town, PCC, and the Tales of Terror cover, Ozzy. Um, the reissue seems to have flipped those both, but not exactly. They even actually threw a couple of songs that weren't on here in the, in the, you know, in, in the top, in the first five tracks, which is kind of mm-hmm. odd, too. Uh, but... Anyway, uh, do you know anything about the Tales of Terrors? No. Yeah, did you Not know Ozzy was a cover? I don't even know. I, I didn't dig into that. Uh, oh, Ozzy's a cover? Yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Green River, the, 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 we, we kind of covered the, the, the band and stuff. This record was released in July 1987, but it was actually recorded a year before. Um, I, I can't remember if I brought that up with Bruce or not, but that my understanding is that there was just basically – money was the reason it took so long to come out right um, right and uh you you bought the cassette with the both of them on that what year around would that have been like uh early 90s i assume yeah 91 or 92 you know after i got into pearl jam and yeah looking back on it you know it's it's really interesting time to think about i was a teenager i was in high school there's no internet so, you know, you probably see Green River mentioned in a magazine. It's just yeah. like an aside. And uh, and then you think about it back then, it's like, oh, this is this mysterious, legendary band, even though they were like four years, three, it was like three years earlier. <laughs> right. And, uh, but yeah, there's no way, you can't Google it. You can't look it up on YouTube. There, You know, so I just, um, wherever I found the cassette, I just bought it without even have, having ever heard anything. And having no idea what it sounded like, you know, but just knowing that the guys from Pearl Jam were in this band before. And that's how I always was. If I heard that a guy in a band I liked was in a band before that, I would want to hear that band. You know, that was just, you know, that's the way it works for. I mean, I'm sure you were the same way that, you know, for people who are really into music. That's <clears throat> if you're like, oh, he was in that band. I got to check that band yep. out, too. Unless know? it was the so. bass player or drummer, then I, I don't bother. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, depending. Yeah. Uh, well, now this had the, the, your version had Rehab Doll on it, which doesn't appear on the top twenty-five that we're getting into here. Um, it, did, do you like Rehab Doll better? Because that was after that, and, and a full-length album was it a little more polished? To, had their songwriting developed at all? Yeah, I would say the songs are better on Rehab Doll, in my opinion. Why do you think Dry as a Bone would have been rated higher than that? Then probably just because it's the first sub pop release. Okay, that's probably part of it. Because, you know, there's a lot to disagree with about this list, <laughs> this top 25 list. And I think part of it, like you talked about with John about um, the Deep Six compilation, part of it is the historical right. um, uh, importance or whatever of the thing. Definitely factors in, I guess. I have to admit, as far as these kind of lists go... Because they're all kind of like almost trolly clickbait kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. This one, it really doesn't seem to have that like, that's just fucking ridiculous, you know, thing in it. Like, I, I, it's my personal list is much different than this. And, and, and if I made my own 25, a bunch of these wouldn't even be in it. But 
at the same time, I kind of get it. Like, you know, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to uh, ruin a surprise for people here. Nirvana Nevermind is way lower on my list than it appears on this list. But I kind of get why that is number one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it also, with some of the stuff on the list, it goes to what is grunge and what isn't. Yeah, okay. What's the line between grunge and alternative rock? And is everything that was alternative grunge? I don't know. You know? So Right. Well, it seemed like as eventually as, as grunge kind of grew, suddenly you had bands like Belly, um, right. uh, shoot Lemonheads, things of that nature, that, right. that, that also kind of you know became popular. That really probably were more a little lighter and almost you know, uh, and, and Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, believe it or not, they kind of benefited from this whole movement. I think you Weezer, know, <laughs> Weezer. We, yeah, Weezer. Yeah. A little. They're a little more um, metal and hard rock, but they definitely were brought in with the alternative scene. Um, even like the fucking Goo Goo Dolls, I, I I would use the Goo Goo Dolls and Hooting the Blowfish, and we'll say Four Non Blondes as three bands <laughs> that were really not alternative at all, and they they named themselves something stupid. That way, they could be alternative. How about better than Ezra? Good yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> that one's another one. Yeah. Yeah. There's more. What's that uh, band out of Arizona that uh, that fucking they, they Hey Jealousy? What was it? Google or Gin Blossom. Gin Blossom. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's tons. I mean, yeah, there was so much bandwagon jumping on the alternative thing. It was crazy. <laughs> but uh, back to Dry as a Bone, when I did put the call out to see what uh, you know, fellow podcasters would be interested in doing an episode, you threw this one out almost almost before I had any, too many other responses. Well, it's just, um, I mean, this has been really interesting to go back and listen to this because thinking about who I was at the time and how I didn't know shit. You know, I did. I had a few <laughs> hundred cassettes. Uh, so much music that's my favorite music now I didn't even know existed at the time. So your what you like, you have lower standards, actually, because you don't know about so much of the better stuff. So when I bought Green River, I liked it a lot more then than I do now, especially in comparison to stuff I've discovered since then, you know? So it's been interesting to think about that. And, and also, like I was saying, bef- in that time before the internet and being a teenager, it was just so everything was so different with, with something like this. It, it seemed so much more important, <laughs> I guess, or, and also mysterious, you know? And so it was like, Oh my God, this is the, this is the band that like started it all. Yeah. And this is where the guys from Pearl Jam and Mudhoney came from. And, you know, you see the pictures, you're like, oh, there's so, there was, that's so cool. You know, and, yeah. and even Sub Pop, Sub Pop at the time had this crazy vibe, you know, this everything. Uh, and it, I think it was a big part of it was just being a teenager. I was in high school at the time. So that, you know, it's just that time in your life, too. But also, you know, the the everything like this has been changed so much by the Internet where everything is so easily accessible now. Whereas if you wanted to hear Green River then, you're probably going to have a hard time finding it, and you're just going to have to buy it to hear it. Yeah. You're not going to be able to hear it without buying it. So That was awesome, though. I mean, I had so many records yeah. that I would buy that sucked uh, <laughs> right? because well, of an album also, cover or an article I read. I mean, I mean, this well, is like, basically Green River is Wicked Lester to me. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it – yeah, I mean, it was probably – I mean, I remember how excited I was when I found the Mother Love Bone tape. Ooh, I still yeah. remember finding that cassette, you know. 
um, you know, you would just be looking at the racks and you would just be like, holy shit, you know, and grab this one thing. And it wasn't where you could just go out on eBay or whatever and buy it. You had to go out and search for it and track it down. And so, yeah. And, you know, you were probably this. I mean, I had friends who your record collection was expanded exponentially by what your friends had. So if they had it, you wouldn't buy it because you could just tape it from them or hear it from them. So you would buy different stuff so that, you know, because that's the only way you could hear the stuff. That was the thing is if you wanted to hear it, you had to buy it. Right. Somebody had and you always it. wanted more, you know what I mean? So the yeah. I, I remember that exact scenario playing out where there's a record I want that's in front of me, but my buddy has it and I already have a dubbed copy of that. So I should actually right. spend you know, use my resources more wise wisely. This is more easy to get. I'm gonna get this thing that's harder to find that I don't have that he doesn't have, all that stuff. I mean, it all plays into it. Yeah, there was like three or four of us that were like basically from you know, seventh grade on were were tape trading, you know. That's the only way you could hear more. It was it was so expensive. To, it was too expensive to hear everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but, you know, if you if you had a passion for it and you wanted to hear these different bands, you hey there, you had to know somebody who had it. You know, and so my sister's boyfriend. Uh, when I, I would have been like twelve, uh, but I remember he like uh, gave me a dub cassette of like Pyromania. And then, like, I started flip. I was over at his house one day, and like, my sister's like a senior in high school around this time, so they're around that age. And, I, and this guy had the first like home stereo setup that I've ever seen anybody, and he could actually do a proper recording, not like putting the the cassette microphone to the speaker and stuff. Uh, and I started flipping through his records, and that that guy ended up fucking hating. I think they broke up because he was sick of me asking him to the fucking dub cassettes for me. But. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Julie. Yeah, I just I, can't take your brother. Yeah. <laughs> at one point, at one point, I had this idea. My dad was a carpenter. He worked in a wood shop. Like and Jesus. So, <laughs> I had the idea. It was my idea, and my dad made it for me. It was two giant cassette cases that slid under my bed. They were. It was the size Ooh. of my bed. It was the size of my bed. So you, I would pull them out from under my bed, and they were full. So picture the entire size of a twin bed. That's nice. what I had in cassettes, dubbed cassettes and purchased cassettes by the time I was in college. That is a and lot yeah, of cassettes. I, so I, I had so many dubbed cassettes. It was insane. I had also about checking. 150 when I started switching to CD, so I know what 150 <laughs> looks like. You had a lot more than yeah. That. It was yeah yeah. It was crazy. It had to be like a thousand cassettes at least. Oh, it was yeah. It was more probably. Oh man. All right. Well, should we get into the record? Uh, we've got uh, had a lot of talk about other stuff, but uh, maybe I'm trying to avoid it. I don't know. It's like some <laughs> Freudian thing is controlling me, but. Uh, well, we're going to go with the original track list. I'm trying to do that with everything. Um, I will say this before we get into it. Uh, this is the second EP that shows up on here. This is the third record, I believe, that Jack and Dino did a full remix of on the 25. And uh, I can tell you, I was really impressed with Ultra Mega OK. And I got to say, I think he did a pretty good job on this one. Did you get a chance to hear the, the Deluxe Edition remix at all? Yeah, I did. Do you think it's uh, as someone who actually heard it back in the day, uh, or at least remembered it from that time? Do you, Do you think he improved it? Yeah, I would say he improved it. Just the the instruments are sharper. You yeah, know, more distinct separation between the instruments, stuff like that. I like. All right, so this record opens up uh, originally with "Unwind."
Shoe Goes With This Town. And I think that's a much better opener. But Unwind kind of opens up with kind of a sort of bluesy kind of dun, 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 that kind of deal. But uh, And it turns out the singer wants to fuck your mind. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree. This Town's probably a better opener. But I think this is my favorite song really? of, the fi- of the five on the EP. It's very 70s. This I had a Mother Love Bone VHS tape way back when. I think it was called The Love Bone Earth Affair. And I remember Jeff Ament. <laughs> I remember him. I'm <laughs> him raving. I remember him raving about Aerosmith on that tape. I remember an interview part where he was just talking about how much he loved Aerosmith, and I this song totally sounds like an Aerosmith ripoff. It's very '70s rock, '70s sleaze rock kind of sounding song. So it's probably my favorite on on here because of that. The the guitar parts are really cool and probably has a better melody than some of the other songs. Okay. But just a very 70s vibe I get from this one. Well, what do you think um uh what what do you think he's talking about lyrically here? I I I'm a little having a hard time is, is it just drugs? I mean, that's always <laughs> the, the easy answer with grunge stuff, but yeah, I have to say I didn't I haven't given it much thought what he's talking, you know. I don't know. You know, BJ here at whatever, never mind. We like to break everything down and and crack the egg open and see what's inside. So, uh, well, I'll I'll uh, give you a break here and read a little bit. It says, "Come on over to my place. I'll show you some time. Come on over to my place, baby. I want to watch you unwind. Come on over to my place so I can fuck your mind. Open mind, barely alive. So, you know, at first you're thinking he just wants to boner, but then it's like (laughs) I want to fuck your mind." Yeah, and it reminds me of a guy who tried to get me to do a whip it in 1996. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, the other thing is that like the use of the word "baby" was not real common with grunge. So this is like they hadn't quite uh, developed into the the kind of snobbery that would come, uh, you know, lyrically down the road. No, you get a lot of the vibe from Green River of a garage band. Yeah, throwback Very much. garage band. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll get, uh, it was some of my closing thoughts on this, but yeah, the, 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 this whole record kind of has a uh, very much a post-80s punk vibe to it. I mean, I've seen right. bands that sound like this in clubs around Minneapolis when I, during the 90s, you know. Uh, it, it just it kept reminding me of that. Yeah. Um, well, do you have a grunge reference that you would like to use in place of stars to rate this? Uh, I've, I've been, let, been trying to let the guests kind of pick what they want. Like, you know, we've used Doc Martens and flannels, uh, Starbucks, coffee cups, uh, uh, whatever. you. What, what do you like? Hmm. How about tears in the jeans? <laughs> Fair enough. I gave this one three tears in the jeans. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was thinking about so so it's one one through five tears in the jeans. Yeah, um, and if you, and, uh, Gene Vogel jeans. got upset because somebody used a, a decimal point. So yeah, uh, and his episode oh. coming up, uh, which will be out before this does, he's all over the place. He he, I said do what you want to do because you know, I'm trying to be friendly to the guests. He'll go like four point eight. You know, <laughs> so you can uh, break it down however you want. I don't even come up with your own method. I really don't think it matters that much. But well, I gotta say, if I think about the songs that I consider fives, and compare these songs to those, <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> I don't know how many tears any of these are gonna get? <laughs> you you can use whatever criteria you want. I I, I think that makes it more fun. I, I can tell you personally, I put it in the rep in in what I think they're this this current. P 
piece of work is trying to accomplish and and, and right. keep it very specific to to that these uh, these would get graded much lower almost everything i've done so far would if i tried to compare it to like what i consider five star material personally Right. Um, but as mm-hmm. a, I mean, because I don't want to be a dick. I mean, this is what yeah. they do. This is who they are. Um, I only gave, I think, one song on this record a five. But yeah, this one, uh, yeah, three rips in the jeans. Yeah, I would agree. Three rips in the jeans. And this is your favorite song. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark How about Arma. Three point four. Three point four rips in the jeans. <laughs> Uh, this has got the little tiny hole on the side of the knee there that uh, hasn't quite developed into a full rip. Um, yeah, Mark Arm is uh, uh, he's going to be unhappy to find out how hard you are to please, BJ. But uh, <laughs> um, well, side one wraps up with <laughs> the second song, "Baby Takes." I like the melody. It's just probably too long and drone drones on for me. But it's not bad. <laughs> it's um it's interesting song. And it's more of one of the more grungy yeah. songs on the album. Or the EP. So the the verse melody, it almost uh, starts to grate against yeah. the music, um, especially on the very opening line. But here we get the t- the album title in here is is uh, down inside and dry as a bone. Now, do you know where the phrase "dry as a bone" comes from? No, I don't. Uh, no, well, it turns out that no later than 1830, the phrase was so well known that it was actually a definition in the Webster's Dictionary. Um, and uh, bone dry means really, really fucking dry, like a bone that's been bleached in the weather. Right. Um, with that said, I heard a little bit of an Ace Freely influence in the guitar solo on this song. I thought it was uh, 
Um, I don't know. I I, I think the, the grungers were a little more accepting of, of the idea that maybe they listened to Kiss at one point in their life than like a lot of the hair metal bands were. This song, I also gave three rips in the jeans. What do you got? I guess I would give this two rips in the jeans. <laughs> I uh, guess I'm, think, I'm thinking too much about stuff I like better. Yeah. It's hard for me to... Yeah. Well, it's difficult for you to not be who you are, right? <laughs> You're struggling with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, I'm. I'm. It's weird that there's an EP. There's two fucking EPs on here, and Mark Arm is both of them. Uh, right. Mud Honey is coming up much higher on the list, but uh, it, I, between the sides, I've been kind of breaking down kind of the guests where they were like. So when grunge hit. Um, kind of give me a breakdown of where where you were, what you were doing in life, like how old you might have been, if, if you feel getting into that. And then what was your initial reaction to it as a movement? And then kind of what do you think now? Well, I have a lot to say about about this. I mean, I'm sure you were too, but I was, a, I was at ground zero. Like I was a witness and an active participant in the entire process. Nice. Yeah. You know? I, I've, I, I've, I've, I've covered it quite a bit through, so I won't get it into it too much more. People who are listening to every episode have already heard me kind of get into it. Yeah. Um, just short answer. I, I bought in very quick and I was there pretty early on as far as like the big scene. Now I'm not saying I was listening to green river in 1987, but I, by Nirv- I had Nirvana mind within a month of it coming out. And mm-hmm. I jumped on all the shit very quick. Anyway, carry on. I was heavily into 80s metal and what they call hair metal. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite music. And I watched Headbangers Ball every week. Now, I Googled it because I remember I saw Smells Like Teen Spirit on Headbangers Ball. And I think that was the first time it was ever played on MTV. Now, according to MTV.com, it premiered on 120 Minutes. I think that's bullshit. I think it premiered the night before, a Saturday, on Headbangers Ball. Then they premiered it on Sunday on 120 Minutes. But that fucker was played the night before on Headbangers Ball. And I'm, that gonna, I'm going with time. it. That sounds like some revisionist bullshit. Yeah. It. Well, it was on Headbangers Ball. Good point. And... That was the first. I mean, that was the first time I heard the song was on Headbangers Ball. That's what's interesting about this idea that grunge destroyed, you know, the '80s metal scene. Well, all of us who were into the '80s metal scene, I had facelift already. I knew who Soundgarden were. I they were on Headbangers Ball all the time. I knew who Mother Lovebone was. They were in Metal Edge magazine. I remember reading about Andrew Wood die when he died. I knew who Pearl Jam were very early on. My friend got a promo cassette of a live. And you want to know where we got that promo? Before the album came out, we got it at a store called The Metal Shop, right? <laughs> so all of this, all of us who were into that 80s metal scene, we knew about all of this shit before almost everybody else, you know, except for the people who were in the college radio. And stuff like that. Who knew about Bleach or whatever? And but I'm there not were very. Sure, I'm not sure them. I've actually mentioned this yet. I was actually working at a college radio station when Nirvana right. uh, Nevermind came out. Uh, Bleach had right. already been out. Anyway, carry on. All of us who were into that '80s metal scene, we all knew about this. We already had facelift and knew who Soundgarden were long before grunge hit. You know what I mean? And so the first time I think. The first time Smells Like Teen Spirit was played was on Headbangers Ball. And I still remember, like, Monday, 
in study hall with my friend Andrew. And I was like, I saw this really cool song. Did you see that song? He's like, yeah, that song was awesome. And we were both like, why do we like this? Because <laughs> it's not what we like. It wasn't it wasn't uh, Cinderella. Right. <laughs> you know? But we it hit both of us hard, you know. And so I was a, a part of that entire phenomenon. You know what I mean? I know you've been asking people, did grunge destroy, kill hair metal or whatever? Sure. Go ahead and answer that and question. The grunge fad replaced the hair metal fad. And that's all. It, uh, it's, people jumped on fads. You know, the people who me and my friend Andrew, who liked who got into Nirvana and Pearl Jam, we still liked Cinderella. We did. We didn't burn our Cinderella tapes, you know. Because I already had facelift. I knew who Soundgarden yeah. and Mother Love Bone were. I, you know, we had that Pearl Jam promo before 10 even came out because we were into the metal scene. That's why we knew about all of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yes, it was instant that the people who only follow whatever's popular switched from this popular thing yeah. to this popular thing. That's what was instant. I turned my back on all of it. Oh, you did. You were one of the traitors. <laughs> I was, yeah. It, 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 the, um, God, a radio station locally, like in 97, spent a weekend playing like hair metal only. And then I was like, you know what? God, I fucking love all this shit. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I still owned, I, I'm not really a guy who gets rid of shit. You know I mean? A CD doesn't take up that much space in my house. So I don't get rid of it just because I don't listen to it anymore. So I still had it. I was able to go back and keep most of the stuff. But yeah, I was, I was very, being very specific. I turned my back and I was like, I understood why, why it was funny to make fun of Winger on Beavis and Butthead. Well, yeah, Winger were an easy target. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but, Although um, I, I was flipping off Kip Winger in 1990, so. <laughs> well, I definitely show. laughed when uh, when I saw them open for Kiss and he tripped and fell on stage. I definitely laughed. <laughs> I'll laugh any at anybody that falls on stage, uh, even if if there's video of me doing it. I know I've done it a couple times, so I. Uh, but how about this? I was listening to In the Heart of the Young last week at work. Yes! <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. so <laughs> I never stopped. I never stopped, but. Yeah, we were heavily into, I was heavily into, I got so into Sub Pop, you know, we would buy whatever was on Sub Pop. Like I'd say, my friend Andrew would have it or I would have it, but we would, we would buy anything that was on Sub Pop. I had a Sub Pop hat that was stolen out of Andrew's car. <laughs> and um, yeah, like I remember, I really liked Nevermind, but then I remember somebody had hormoning. Do you remember that? No. What the hell is it was that? Like a, it was like a Japanese EP, and it had aneurysm, and it had their cover of Turnaround, the Devo song, but I had never heard the Devo song at the time. Those two songs are so awesome. It's, and then I, I ordered the Sliver single from Sub Pop, and I loved the song Sliver. So as you dug deeper into Nirvana, I never was a huge fan of Bleach, you know, some of the songs, but... Um, but yeah, as you dug deeper into the bands, a Pearl Jam, you know, they started putting out singles. I was, I had the fan club singles, which I sold, but I had the first three Pearl Jam fan club singles that they would send at Christmas. You know, Pearl Jam had great B-sides. You know, when they came out with um, uh, Footsteps and Yellow Lead Better, yeah, was that on the Jeremy single? You know, so Merkin Ball you, was that what? The- oh, that was the Neil Young album they did. <sighs> God, right? I have a forty-five that has yellow. Or no, Mirrorball. Mirrorball. Mirror the- okay. I think Merkin Mirrorball was the Neil Young one. You're saying? 
Yeah. Yeah, Merkin Ball was like a, uh, a 45 that I have somewhere that Yellow Leadbetter is the B-side on it. Um, I know that that's popped saying, up on a ton of stuff. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I'm just saying as you dug as you, as you dug deeper, you found more songs by these bands, you became even a bigger fan. You know, I remember hearing other Nirvana songs like Dive, and you would hear these other awesome songs and become even more of a fan. You know, the, they had really great songs out at the time that weren't on Nevermind. I guess my point is... The people who were into the 80s metal scene were some of the first people on board with the grunge thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and the 80s metal scene, you know, really became really fucking bad. Even the there's there's some bands that I like a lot that I that I can kind of understand why this was just starting to tire and that it was time for a new movement. When do you, hey, you know what? A little quick side question here for you. When do you think we'll get another fucking movement? I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's done. There'll never be another scene. Uh, people just, you have to have young people care about music and they don't. And I think we're just going to get a handful of uh, really good bands from time to time that never turn into the Rolling Stones or even like Kiss level of, of popularity. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, God, you know it's so it disappointing. is. It is true that the scene was getting tired. The perfect example that I remember, and you know, this is I actually interviewed these guys, and they were really nice at the Rocket Pod. But I went and bought Roxy Blue when it came out, and I didn't like it at all. And yeah, that I'm was one of the that, latest. AJ, I, I had no idea. <laughs> that was one of the latest. <laughs> I would buy everything that was in Metal Edge. But that was one of the. I think that was maybe even in '92. Were you so living at home because I didn't have the money to buy everything? <laughs> yeah, I graduated in '92. No, um, well, yeah, I don't know how. I, I don't know. Well, I had a job. I had a. Yeah. No, like when I when I was in high school, like I would, I had, my paycheck was about like twenty dollars a month towards anybody that would buy us beer and everything else was music and gas, cigarettes, yeah. I suppose. But cigarettes were fucking cheap. Yeah. No, we're talking about when I was in high school and. uh so was I, you fucking prick. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, but I I remember getting Roxy Blue and thinking, this sucks. And they were one of the last, that was one of the last hair metal albums to come out with like a big push before. I don't you know, remember it, them at all. Um, so even though I just took a cheap shot that, at them, I really, uh, I don't have any basis for that. I, I've never heard their music other than some of the stuff that was kind of like uh, tweaked around Rock and Pod. Um but what? Well, Little Caesar was probably one of the last hair bands that I got into. Yeah, they were like a headbangers ball band. Yeah. Well, uh, well, another thing that was happening before grunge hit though is you get slave to the grind. You, I remember. So these point. bands were already kind of adjust. They were already going heavier. It's yeah, weird. and a lot of like, my friends were switching to thrash gradually yeah. during that time too. You know, I saw a show that was Warrant, Trickster, and Firehouse, and it was Cherry Pie Tour. And Warrant came out and they opened the show with the song Inside Out that was this fast, heavy, screaming song. That was the direction they were already going in before Nevermind. Oh, come on. Stop it, DJ. You're embarrassing yourself. No, it's true. They were already... (laughs) they, They were already... All those bands were already, you know, having... Stopping the hairspray... They were wearing more street clothes. They were getting heavier. They all were. Like, Slave to the Grind was a big shift, and that had nothing to do... Slave to the Grind was not Skid Row trying to be Nirvana, because Nirvana wasn't out yet. 
I don't oh think. no, you're, so, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So there, there was already been... there was already kind of they were already kind of rebelling against it themselves. <laughs> Some of the bands were, you know, they were already kind of trying to, you know, drop the image and be heavier, even and before the grunge thing happened. Even Kiss Revenge may have come out uh, earlier, were not for the health issues of Eric Carr. And uh, speaking of Skid Row, I saw Soundgarden open for them on the Slave yeah. to the Grind tour. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. They, they played uh, Lacrosse, Wisconsin. That's your home. Yeah, state, I right? saw it in Milwaukee. I yeah. saw it at the Riverside in Milwaukee. And uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Sebastian Bach was doing a, a nice pose at the front of the stage, and somebody poured an entire beer all over him, and he jumped in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and started fighting with him. So it was a classic. Yeah, Classic Skid Row show. <laughs> that's, a, that's an Axel Rose move there. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's get back to the record. We'll uh, get into the uh, rapidly finishing side two. Uh, now, this uh, side two opens up with uh, the song that uh, is the first track on the remix. I think I already touched on that, though. This Town. I think uh, grunge bands did well. There's a couple things musically, but but one thing that that I think a lot of these uh, like I keep calling them hair metal. Is there a better term for it? I don't know. I just think it's easy and people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's just like the shorthand. Yeah. Know? Okay. Uh, I know some people find that offensive. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just clarifying that I'm not being a hater when I say it. I right. I have tons of it in my my house here, but. Uh, the bass breakdown, letting the guitars breathe a little bit, and hear and I I was struggling today. I, it just dawned on me when I was listening to it the last couple of times. The closest I could think to like somebody of that kind of ilk doing that would be like I'm sure there's something that I'm missing, but the first thing that came to mind was "Let Me Go Rock and Roll" off of Kiss Alive, where you get that kind of, and even that's just like. But um, it just not compressing the shit out of guitars. I think hair metal music would be looked back on a little more favorably if it weren't for those kind of elements of, of music. But this song has a great little uh, bass breakdown, um, and it, this one's a lot of fun for me. Um, but is this song about uh, giving up and getting married, like moving to the suburbs? That's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your interpretation makes sense. <laughs> Driven to the end of my rope. Yeah, there you go. There's this place where the borders of each town... T- yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what... Um, this is how I live my life. This is not how I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just described married men everywhere. Seattle had more of a small town feel back then, didn't it? As opposed to a big city kind of vibe, didn't oh, it? I suppose, or, yeah. And, and are yeah. they uh, Seattle natives? I know like uh, some of these guys came from Olympia, but... Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how far Olympia is from Seattle. Hmm. 
No uh, comments on my little bass breakdown thing. You don't think a more hair metal band should have done that? Oh yeah, well, Wasp. They could have fucking really <laughs> done a lot of <laughs> like, okay. uh, yeah. I fuck like a beast. Well, it's like that the garage, like punk. Yeah, this song is a very like garage punk song. Well, I hear a lot of Detroit in this stuff. You know, Stooges, MC5, even Alice Cooper. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's now what you're talking. There's a lot of in this. What I'll say about this song is the higher that Mark's vocals go, the less I like it. Really? <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah, I don't like the screech. He doesn't do. There's a certain like really high screechy thing he does in Green River that he doesn't do in Mud Honey, and that's really not real pleasing to the ear. Okay. Uh, some of it on this song, but it's a cool song. I gave this one five rips in the jeans. Well, I like it less than Unwind, but I would give it three. Rips okay. in the jeans. Pie. I give it pie. 3.14 rips in the jeans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in high school, uh, in our softball team, we all got to pick our own numbers, and one guy picked pie. <laughs> he was my hero. <laughs> I was so jealous. I was like, I should have fucking had thought of that. <laughs> Did he just have the symbol on his back? No, he had the number 3.14. <laughs> Uh, I called him out on it, though. It's like, you know, technically it, it carries on, but uh, we'll let you have yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the next song is uh, PCC. What do you think of this track? I like the heavy music. Yeah. More than the screechy vocal. doesn't have a great chorus so is that the chorus uh, it's like, the end of the yeah. chorus you know because the, the song kind of stops and breaks and does that yeah yeah that's a catchy line that's a there's a good delivery on that i probably like the mute i like the music on this yeah it's kind of got that slow kind of build up at the beginning and it gets a little quicker once it kicks in yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of picks up the pace at one point. There is a great opening scream. I know you said you didn't like it, but uh, it, it's a very haunting sounding. It kind of reminded me, believe it or not, of Sam Hain, the way he just hit that scream in there. And that was probably the one thing vocally that, that stuck out to me through listening to this whole record. That was the, like your favorite thing you mean uh, um vocally? well overall um i i find mark arms singing especially on this record kind of forgettable it, it's like it, it's not yeah. a voice that, that you you instantly gravitate to but that one so in, in that reference that one scream he hits on this it really pops it seems unique and identifiable it's something you can kind of go wow that was kind of cool 
Um, or maybe you go wild. I fucking hate that. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, it just it, it has a uniqueness to it that I think for the most part, vocally, this is kind of, uh, I don't know, not that impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I was thinking going back and listening to this is that he was so much better in Mud Honey. But, you know, part of it's funny that part of the whole alternative uh, thing was for it not to be good on purpose. (laughs) So to like to like this, I don't think that some of those screaming he does isn't supposed to sound good. (laughs) It's not supposed to be melodic. Like you Norwegian know. black metal. It's not supposed to uh, be appealing. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, believe it or not, I gave this one four stars, or I'm sorry, four rips in the jeans. I I enjoy this song quite a bit. I would give it two rips in the jeans. Ooh. I, so, so far, I think I've been nicer to every one of these records than the guest. Um, but uh, PCC, do you know what it stands for? I, I couldn't find anything in the lyrics to break it out. I thought politically correct C word. <laughs> <laughs> you know, same thing. I don't know. I don't know what it stands for. Well, the uh, the EP closes with a song called Ozzy, which we learned earlier is a Tales of Terror cover, whatever that means. Um, it opens with a movie clip. Do you happen to know what uh, movie that's from? What about me, Rick? You don't even know I'm alive. In a few months, I'll be 18, and I'll come into the money my father left me, and I won't need anyone to tell me how to live or what to do. Look at me, Rick. I'm not just a little girl anymore. I'm a woman. <laughs> I forgot. I was going to try to look that up. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's like about a girl saying she's all grown up and about to inherit her daddy's wealth. So uh, right. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> yeah, very petulant. <laughs> now there is kind of a riff, and people are probably going to go, "What the fuck is he talking about?" But I swear to God, it's there. It ends with a couple notes that are like right in the Ace of Spades note uh, riff. Driving around I, I in the Bach Cruiser today. That's what, uh, coming back from Dunkin' Donuts this morning, I was like, hey, that's kind of Ace of Spades y. And I'm like, people are going to fucking destroy me for that. But <laughs> I didn't notice. It. I'm looking up Tales of Terror, Sacramento hardcore band. Yeah, I, I, this is a pretty standard, noisy, messy punk song. And it works as a closer, too, to be honest with you. There's a lot of punk in this. Very much. So, um, they I mean, more than anything, they were probably a punk band, but they were a late 80s punk band. As right, and that, that where things got slowed down a little more, and, and yeah. melody played a little heavy, harder, or a larger role in in the music. But there's, there is a lot of 70s vibe, too. But, I mean, you know, they... The punk, the you know, like they do a Dead Boys cover, and so the Dead Boys obviously were very influenced by the by Iggy and the Stooges. Right. And so, it yeah, it's just a um, they have the they have the same influences, and then 
they're influenced by the guys that influence people that also influence them. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, when I started this whole project, um, this was among the records that I just couldn't remember well enough to give it a proper rating. And at that point, I had it ranked at 24 on my personal list. After getting into it, it moves all the way up to 17. Where did you have this record ranked on the list of 25? Oh, let me count. 2, 4, 6, 14. Okay, so yeah, we're not too far apart there and a, and a little higher than um, where it appears on the actual list. Well, what are your closing thoughts on this? Would you like me to go first? That way you get the last word. <laughs> I don't care. Sure. Uh, one of the things I'll take away from this is I don't really, he- I hear way more Mud Honey than I do uh, Mother Love Bone or Pearl Jam. Um, I think Stone is a bigger songwriter in Pearl Jam than Mike McCready, but I have even more respect for Mike McCready almost after listening to this record because I think something, and again, this is very early in these guys' career, so I, I don't want to judge this record too hard because uh, I-, I did enjoy it, um, and, I'm- and I'm glad that I got to actually hear some of the stuff, and I can kind of hear it the genesis of where some of the things would go, but more mud honey. And, and that's not just because of Mark arm. Um, the music is very much more in, in the vein of what mud honey would go on to do. But to me, Mike McCready, to, it sounds to me like looking back between this to mother love bone to Pearl jam, he was kind of a cementing factor in kind of getting that, that Pearl jam sound. I, I mentioned it. I don't, I, I think Mark arms voice, uh, it's very, I don't know, unremarkable. You can look back and listen kind of knowing where this is all going, and that was kind of part of the fun part of this, is that, you know, with having a pretty good idea of what was going to happen, because I I listened to all this music, and now going back and hearing this almost kind of for the first time, uh, it was kind of cool to kind of almost nostalgically kind of see these guys that I know what they went on to kind of do. So it's a very standard example of alt-rock kind of bands I saw in clubs and stuff of that, you know, during the 90s. This would have been perfect. I don't know if you've seen the Penelope Spheris movie, Suburbia, from the early 80s, uh, but this this would have been a great addition to the soundtrack, almost any song on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, overall, uh, I, I like it. Um, I like the Jack and Dino remix. He seems to you know, enjoy going back to his old work and kind of tinkering around with it. So, and, and, and so far, what I've heard, he's done a good job. Yeah, it was interesting to go back to this. This is something I listened to in the 90s, but you know, really fell off my radar as far as what I listened to. And um, so I don't know when's the last time I, li- I played Green River, but I was a fan, but it probably had a lot to do with you know, just being a big fan of Pearl Jam and also Mud Honey. I definitely like Mud Honey a, a million times more than this. You know, the best Mud Honey songs, these songs don't even compare. Okay. Um, but yeah, this, yeah, there's not, you don't hear very, you don't hear much Mother Love Bone or Pearl Jam in this, and you totally hear Mud Honey yeah. coming, coming out of this. So, um, like I say, when I liked this, I didn't even know <laughs> about so much stuff that I like now. So it's interesting to think about. When your choices are a lot more yeah. limited, where you rank different things. Um, it's cool. It's definitely a very cool document of the time. And, you know, the history of it is is the most interesting part, I guess. It's just unreal how many people from that scene were interconnected with so much stuff that would go on to just to these great things. It. it I don't think there's been a scene other than ah, God. I'm just trying to think. You know, maybe Nashville country, but everybody flocked to Nashville. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Th- th- this is bigger than the. And same with L.A. You know, the Sunset Strip. A lot of those bands just kind of traveled there. 
Um, this was actually people homegrown, man. It's just it, unreal. And then the impact that it made, it was just like, and, and to kind of go back and look at a record like this, it's, it is quite remarkable to kind of remember these things because it seems like in a way this has been kind of forgotten to a certain extent. Yeah. And I was thinking it must've been really fun to see these guys live yeah. when they were playing the clubs. Yeah, I wonder how much that would have affected my opinion too, because there's a lot of bands like locally that, you know, I'd go see them and I just loved, and then I'd get their record and I'm like, eh, what was I? Right. What was the, what was the happening between then and now? You know, <laughs> but the reality is sometimes it's harder to capture on record. But yeah, I bet you these were one of those bands that would have been just killer live. Yeah, and you know they built they really helped build that that sub pop scene, which like I remember. Later on, when uh, Kurt Cobain, like in Rolling Stone or something, he's talking about how Pearl Jam jumped on the alternative bandwagon, and it's like, you know, those I fucking guys that. built these. Those guys built, you know, Stone and Jeff were in this band that fucking was the first sub pop release. How the fuck are you saying they're jumping on the bandwagon? You know, it, it was insane. Yeah, um, people forget. Well, because it, it doesn't really get you know. It doesn't get talked about as much. I don't want to go all at a trunk. A lot of people don't know. But um, Kurt Cobain could be kind of a dicey fucking dick in interviews. You know what I mean? He yeah. was almost like Michael <laughs> Jordan to his teammates. To uh, Something that's sort of topical now. But, you know, he was also a young man kind of thrust into this stuff. So he's probably kind of winging it as he went. But, yeah, he said some fucking pretty shitty things about Pearl Jam. Uh, according to Eddie Vedder, they, they, they all patched it up. And it was really just not that big a deal. But Well, I had friends, too, who who just didn't like Pearl Jam. Um, when I was in college, there was a, there was like, there definitely was a segment who, you know, Pearl Jam were much more of a rock band than uh alternative, even though they were, Fair enough. you know, shoved into that. They were, you know, but they, you know, like my, my friend Chris would say, they're just like bad company, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Come on. Uh, and, and I like bad company, but, uh, the, the I was kind of like living under this this like little bubble, living in this bubble of like belief that like nobody actually hated Pearl Jam, you know, until uh, I found out three or four years after he was in the band, the bass player of Jesus Chrysler fucking despises Pearl Jam. Well, there's some people that don't like the way that kind of singing that Eddie Vedder. God, I, love I know it. that's one of that's one of the big problems my friend Chris has with it is Eddie Vedder's voice. And then I remember saying to Chris, I was like, if you knew Eddie Vedder, you would love him. He'd be like one of your best friends. The guy's awesome. You know, I mean, you have you love all the same bands, you know, he was like, kind of douchey at the time, though. I remember. Like, oh, yeah. Early yeah. interviews, it was just like, hey, I'm Eddie Vedder. I'm in Pearl Singer from Pearl Jam. And once they broke, all of a sudden the guy couldn't stare at anything. He but was the a floor. pretentious idiot. Is yeah. It? I, oh, man. I did, uh, women's I did rights, an episode. Uh, I did an episode with the guys from Pods and Sods called Pearl Jam and the Alternative Bandwagon, and we talked about a lot about how Eddie Vedder was such a douchebag for a while. <laughs> he was so embarrassing. You know, he would go up at the Grammys, this doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. He was, you know, like, he was a pretentious ass for a while, but he, uh, yeah, I think he... I think he would even admit that now. That well, yeah, that the, there was a Bill Simmons interview with Eddie and, and Jeff that's about two hours long, and I would recommend anybody that's fans... I like even like um, Bill Simmons. For those who don't know, he's he's more of a sports writer, but he is such a smug fucking dick. But he's kind of my kind of smug, so I kind of let him. I give him a pass. But this is an amazing interview, and it actually comes up during that. He's like, because he asked him like, what advice would you give 
you know, 25 year old Eddie Vedder. And, and Eddie gives a really stark, honest answer that's, you know, it's kind of grown up. And he's like, well, first of all, I wouldn't have listened to anything I said. But yeah, <laughs> I would have told myself, don't fucking worry about some of this bullshit you're worried about. Yeah, <laughs> just just let it go. You know? So is that on a podcast? I got to listen. Yes, yeah, it's, it's called the Bill Simmons Podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was a huge Pearl Jam fan. Um, when uh, they do you hit, remember? They, they really connect with me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to me, 10 and verses are, are just fucking magic. And Vitology has a few things. Uh, beyond that, I, I I checked out for the most part. Exactly. I, just, I didn't like uh, yeah. what they did. They, they kind of turned nope. into a different thing. I think The Fixer is one of their best songs. Yeah, that's a you great know, tune. It had songs here and there. I like that but, record, yeah. Lightning Bolt, and I'm starting to dig the new record. Yeah, they've had songs here and there, but after Versus, they really went downhill. I mean, I have the theory that on Vitology, they intentionally tried to alienate their fans. When he was saying, this is not for you, he was talking about the people <laughs> they didn't want to be their fans. I think they kind that's of... That's a culled. great song, though. It's all right. Come I on, think they, they intentionally culled their fan base and they managed to like create they can manage to become this jam band now that they, they, they culled their fan base to you know stadium sized tours. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, no, they they got rid of the frat boys. They tried to like alienate the frat boys. I'm okay I think with on that. purpose. Yeah. Fuck those guys. <laughs> it, you know, there was a there was a thing where where they took over the radio. Do you remember that? In like '94 or something, like when Vitology came out, actually, uh, they took over the radio, like all over the country, for like three hours. It was just I Eddie Vedder playing that. songs, and Pearl Jam were playing live. Um, I forget they called it, but at the end of the night, Eddie Vedder gave his phone number and said, told people to call him. And I just sat there for like an hour, just dialing over and over, <laughs> <laughs> trying to call. Nerd. But it was always busy. It was always a busy signal. So when I, when I was I was in college when uh, Ten came out, and uh, the the girl that I worked with on Sunday nights, she was a huge Pearl Jam fan, and we did this. And, and by the way, this was before like people really knew what Eddie Vedder sounded like in an interview. So I just used my own voice. Um, we pretended I called in, and she put me on air, and I said I was actually in Ro- in Rochester. Uh, to eat at Roscoe's and that people sh- and we got flooded with fucking phone calls. Well, flooded by the means we got like you know, six or seven phone calls. Uh, we we would typically get zero, but yeah, it was uh, it was kind of fun to fuck around with people like that. But uh, <laughs> it was one of the dumbest things I think I've ever done. I, I I'm a guy known to do a lot of dumb things still to this day. Yeah, it was actually it was several months before the live video was even on MTV that the Correct, record was that's out. that's right. And even Flow actually blew up more than Alive. Yeah. I remember that was basically like damn near every third video was even Flow for the entire summer of 92. And then I remember it was like, this band is so fucking cool because when they come out with a video, it was live. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I was like, these guys like, this are sound, I remember awesome. it took a while to put it together, too. It's like, this, this sounds a little different. This... Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that's exactly like my CD, and it's like, yeah, it's just nuts. Yeah, no, they were great, but uh, so so go out and check out Pearl Jam if you haven't yet. But uh. <laughs> yeah, there's this band called Pearl Jam. Well, you how about this, uh, BJ? Are there any records you know in the top that you that didn't make the top twenty five cut that you personally would definitely put in here? Uh, I hadn't thought about this. I mean, one thing I noticed right away is where "Louder Than Love" is on the list is ridiculous. Oh, I, I totally agree. 
Um, How is that lower than ultra mega okay? Ah, it's fucking insane, especially it's a fucking injustice. Good point. If, if you're judging it by what ultra okay, okay, ultra mega okay originally sounded like, that makes it really ludicrous. Oh man, I could, but yeah, that is a night and day difference. By the way, kudos yeah. for that remix. But anyway, but also, I'm not a big fan of super unknown. It's like putting super unknown in the top ten. And well, of course, you're not. <laughs> louder than love is like way down. It's it's crazy. Um, but just, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot of bands. I don't know what fits into the grunge thing, but there's a lot of bands that I love from that era, like Afghan wigs okay, and stuff that I don't know if you would put them on a list like this, you know, I don't know if I wouldn't, I wouldn't really even put them on here, but you know, there's a lot of stuff from that era that's not represented on here when they put, I mean, I don't know what the hell they're doing, putting mad season and shit on here. Easy now. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm think. Uh, yeah, you, you got some fucking beef with that record. You, fuck you. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I hadn't. I hadn't prepared for for what's missing. It's a. It's just all depends. No, yeah, on, I'm, I'm hitting you out of the cold grunge. with this. Like, there's a band called Pond that was on Sub Pop that I love. You know, they only put the Sweet Oblivion on here. You know, like um, Uncle Anesthesia is a great album by Screaming Trees. There's there's great Screaming Trees stuff. Facelift is pretty low. <laughs> they what is that's at number 14 that would be higher for sure especially if you're just focusing on a certain kind of sound yeah well it made the um, list though yeah yeah the, the i mean the first thing i noticed that stood out to me was how low louder than love was that was kind of crazy agreed well bj um i might have you back on for a future record i think we still got to sort some of this stuff on the list out here but uh thank you very much for your time what's going on with rock and or roll Give us a give a little self promotion here. Tell people where they can find you and what they can look forward to. Oh, just Google Rock and or Roll podcast, and then you know all the the first things that show up on Google will be my blog and the Facebook page, and then it's on any yeah, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll be able to find it except Spotify. <laughs> and uh, I'm working on a Judas Priest series that'll be coming out eventually that nice. you and LC LC <laughs> yeah on. the newly rebranded LC the more adult. Uh, yeah, he's, I, uh, he's I adult actually, contemporary co-host of mine. I was actually editing the Stone Temple Pilots episode we did, and I heard him tell me to call him LC, but I didn't hear it at the time. <laughs> so I kept calling him loose, but I heard when I was editing that he had said, just call me LC, but I didn't catch it when he said it at the time. Well, my recent episodes, I, I had an episode where I played 25 songs called Tonight, and uh, my newest <laughs> episode is with Lee McCormick, where he... He goes through a lot of different drummers, and he plays examples and explains different styles of rock drumming and who influenced who nice. over the course, like the '50s to the '80s. So, but yeah, coming up, it'll be uh, like a six-episode Judas Priest series where we talk about two records per episode. That'll be coming up. Right on. Yeah, this was fun to do going back to Green River, and also, I mean, obviously, I had a lot to say about the whole grunge killed hair metal thing. Because, you know, like I said, I was at Ground Zero. I was I was there every step of the way, <laughs> experienced the whole thing, and you know, so it was a crazy time that we're, mm-hmm. I, we're definitely never going to see anything like that happen again. No, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was cool to be kind of old enough to to really be part of it, like you're saying, and. And I'm really enjoying kind of going back, even with these earlier records, which uh, basically it's about 50-50 so far that, that I, I really wasn't that familiar with. But just 
getting the one of the things I'm really hoping to get out of this is, is kind of almost document it a little bit that time, show some of the importance, but also get viewpoints of, of all these different people that did that joined me. You know, it's just the idea that we're just kind of you know sharing kind of how important this was because it it does seem like there's too many kiss podcasts and nobody's talking about grunge (laughs) well you know another thought i had was that you know the about the whole idea grunge killed hair metal you don't see grunge grunge lahoma you don't see the grunge cruise you don't see any of that yeah you're right so what lasted longer (laughs) what do people actually love more you know what i mean yeah, well, they all died and of heroin overdoses. Good the, point. Yeah, true. But I think I think the people that love hard rock and heavy metal were are much more invested, much more actual fans, and that kind of mu- kind of music had a lot more longevity and staying power, and there's a lot more nostalgia and everything for it. I would agree with because how could you how could you be nostalgic about the attitude everything sucks <laughs> life is horrible I'm gonna kill myself that's not how much nostalgia are you gonna have for that so well doesn't it feel like the Gen Xers right now are looking at their Facebook feed and going what the fuck is going on you know it's like <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, yeah. we're all fucking responsible because these are our fucking kids and these are our parents. Yeah. You fuckers. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, my daughter's 13 and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so what is she? Is that Gen Z? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure, BJ. And again, people who uh, aren't familiar with rock and or roll, I got to believe if you're, if you're listening to this, you already are familiar with it. But if you're not, check it out. BJ does a great job with all sorts of different uh Oh fuck! You you you're all over the gamut. Is all I'm getting at there. Um, you're really hard to pigeonhole. But it, like you said, it's rock and or roll. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, uh, let's call it quits here. You want to wrap it up? Whatever. You know what? Never mind.
kind of a Ludite type, you know, weirdo for a period there. A Ludite <laughs> weirdo. You are on the Grunge podcast, so that uh, that makes that, that's a good uh, words to throw in there. Some good wordplay for the <laughs> listeners. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 